Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Countdown to Kickoff. I am your host, Anthony Denmark, Denmark Life the Country, a.k.a. Copenhagen, a.k.a. Denny. And this episode is brought to you by EatDrinkSleepSports.com. And since sports never stop, since sports never sleep, that means we always have something to talk about. And since Mason's back, heck, I'm back, you're back, let's go ahead and discuss the latest happenings in the world of college sports. Let's get it. And welcome back to Countdown to Kick Off. Welcome back, Stanford. So much has changed since Stanford first hit the field. Let's see here. Where do we begin? We have a new Heisman front runner, Lamar Jackson from Louisville, who's pretty much leaped to the front line after his performance against Syracuse. Who else we got? What else has happened? Welcome back. Ed Davis from Michigan State, who was approved for his six years of eligibility and is now returning almost the perfect time uh, for Michigan State's big-time matchup against Notre Dame. So many things have changed. People have stood. People have sat. People have put their hands in the air. A lot of things have happened since Stanford actually played uh, their first game when, of course, they beat my Kansas State uh, Wildcats. Of course, that may sound a little bit bitter, but, hey, nevertheless, college football fans, we are now entering into the third week of the college football season. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited. Week two, of course, did not really deliver that many surprises. Oh, well, there was just one uh, with CMU, uh, Central Michigan, of course, uh, winning but shouldn't have won against Oklahoma State. But besides that, everything kind of went as expected. And now we, of course, are all excited, overjoyed, filled with anticipation uh, for the week three matchups. And, boy, do we have a lot of matchups. We have Stanford returning after a long layoff uh, to take on USC, which redeemed themselves quite admirably against Utah State. We, of course, also have Ole Miss and Alabama. Will the third time be the charm? We have uh, Oregon and Nebraska. Great game. The offensive line, the third-team offensive line, of course, had a lot to say about Nebraska, but after that 85-yard run by Royce Freeman, I don't know about you guys, but I'm definitely excited about week three. And I didn't even mention all of the great games. Uh, nevertheless, you know, this is Countdown to Kickoff. Countdown to Kickoff, of course, is brought to you by EatDrinkSleepSports.com. And as per usual, we, of course, have a lot of things on tap for today's show. Uh, we're going to be previewing the week three action with sports guests, writers, to share their impassion, their enthusiasm, their expectations, their thoughts and beliefs of why their team is either one going to be able to succeed or either one may find themselves falling up short. So without further ado, we already have a guest on the line. I believe it's a guest we're going to be talking about the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Of course, everybody's talking about Deshaun Kaiser, who, of course, lit Twitter on fire when he sent a picture of him being in the friend zone uh, with Miss Armstrong. So to find out what's up with these Notre Dame Fighting Irish is, of course, they enter into a great matchup with uh, Michigan State. Let's go ahead and get Trey, who covers the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, on the line. 
Welcome to the show. Hey, Andrew, it's actually Connor McGlynn from USC. Oh, excuse me. I have too many guests. But nevertheless, <laughs> you know, we're always ready to talk football. Now, last week's show, I definitely did give Coach uh, Helton a hard time. I pretty much said that I believe that he was coaching for his job uh, when they took on Utah State. And uh, the Trojans definitely did acquit himself. Uh, in my opinion, although the game was purely uh, a blowout, the, the star of the game, in my opinion, wasn't even a, a player on the field, but a mother of a player who, of course, was dynamic. And the Dory, Dory Jackson's mother, who, of course, interrupted the interview and announced that uh, she's cancer-free. How, uh, how, is that, uh, how has that felt uh, down in Trojan Nation? Having an incredible game, both defensively, the special teams, she had the punt return. So it was just a great moment to be able to see her get real emotional. He even looked like he shed a tear. And he just, you could finally tell that he was absorbing more than just a football moment and it, more than just a game at that time. You could, you could tell that this was just a special bond that Adore has with his mom. And you couldn't help but to feel great and just kind of enjoy that moment, regardless of whether you're a USC supporter or Utah State. Absolutely. Now, of course, you know, I hate to uh, go from talking about warm and comforting feelings. But we, of course, do have to address the big elephant in the room, you being a Trojan like myself. Now, what the heck is going on with Osa Mosina, uh, who, of course, was recently dismissed from football activities? He's still enrolled in school. Uh, but what is the latest with that incident? Of course, uh, to my listeners, he is rumored uh, to be involved in some situation in regards to some allegations of sexual assault. Uh, where, do you, where, where, where do we stand with this situation? Do we expect to see him on the field? Is he going to be in school? I mean, this whole process has been very cloudy. Well, it's actually interesting you bring that up because just about two hours, two to four hours ago, it came out that Osa was actually uh, suspended from school and was um, – told that he had to leave his living arrangements by yesterday, by Monday evening. So he's actually back home in Utah right now, as his attorney confirmed uh, to us just a little bit ago. So uh, Osin Hasina is no longer a student at USC, so he won't be participating in football activities for uh, right now, essentially, any time that we can see. And um, just received an email from his attorney not too long ago saying that they're waiting to hear any type of charges that were brought against him. Uh, charges could be filed as soon as tomorrow. It could be a, a prolonged process. But right now, there's definitely no sight of seeing Messina back on the field for USC anytime soon. Now, of course, like I always say, I always say, you know, we allow the legal process to take its course. Of course, unfortunately, we do know that oftentimes, uh, although you're innocent until be proven guilty, in the state of public of opinion, oftentimes you're guilty almost immediately. So that is definitely a story to watch. Now, of course, going back to the field, I opened the show saying, welcome back, Stanford, because it seems as if it's been an eternity since Stanford actually hit the field. The last time Stanford played, the USC offensive line was completely healthy. However, entering into this week three matchup, I mean, you may need some uh, duct tape and some prayers and uh, 
a couple of Mr. Miyagi's <laughs> be able to uh, fill a, a healthy offensive line. Where do we stand? I mean, the Trojan offensive linemen are dropping off like flies left and right. Yeah, no, I mean, without a doubt, it seems like every year USC, I think I, we talked about it last time I was on, how the offensive line always seems to be the best unit coming into the season. And then slowly but surely, they just start getting injury after injury. Toa Lobendon went down with a torn NCL and ACL that he played the entire Alabama game with. So uh, USC is now on Nico Fallis, the redshirt junior at starting center. They had to bring Khalil Rogers, who was the backup center last year, who converted over to the defensive line back to now be the backup offensive center again. So there's transition there. And then also Chuma Adoga had uh, the ejection during the Utah State game for pushing the official. He got demoted from his spot as a starting left tackle. So Chad Wheeler took his spot. Um, So, yeah, it is almost a revolving door kind of going on right there in the USC offensive line. So it'll be interesting to see how they play and if the guys who are expected to play can be healthy because the Utah State game, we saw Chad Wheeler wasn't 100%. He's still recovering from plantar fasciitis. And then um, Nico Falla, he rolled his ankle, so he was kind of struggling being able to maintain the center of the line against a Utah State defense, which clearly isn't as strong and as physical as the Stanford defense that they're expecting to play this weekend. Absolutely. Again, I'm on the line with Connor McLean, fellow Trojan, covers the USC Trojans. Now, of course, you know, you did mention Willard. You, of course, answered my question I was about to ask in regards to his status for this upcoming game. Uh, But nevertheless, one of the questions I do have specifically focuses on the defense. And uh, I guess my biggest concern is uh, what version of the Trojan defense should we expect to see in week three? Because, I mean, uh, the defense was was definitely – looked a whole lot faster against Utah State. And, of course, it was definitely uh, inept uh, in the Alabama matchup opening the season. So what should we expect from them on the defensive side of the ball entering into this tough matchup with uh, probably one of the most talented uh, Stanford teams we've seen in a long time? Right. Obviously, going against the number seven team in the nation on the road isn't going to be an easy task. But I think USC's defense has actually been pretty solid throughout the season so far. I mean – 52 points against an Alabama team doesn't really prove that you did much. But the first half, they did a really good job shutting down the Crimson Tide offense, being able to control the pace of the game. The first quarter, they pitched a shutout. And then it was kind of a pick six on the offensive side of the ball that kind of opened things up. And then there were the mental mistakes, just the miscommunications that broke things open. And then you saw how they could really play in the Utah State game. The linebackers were flying to the ball safeties were playing up towards the line of scrimmage and being able to read the quarterback options and things like that. They shut down one of the more explosive running backs that they're going to see, who is a powerhouse in Devontae Mays. They shut him down to just 40 yards. So I think this USC defense is actually doing a pretty, pretty good job, and they have to have a lot of confidence going into this game, and that's going to have to continue if they're going to be able to shut down Christian McCaffrey based off of how he's played against them, not only last season, but the season before as well. Absolutely. I mean, when you think about it from terms of athleticism, I mean, you look at it matchup-wise, I look forward to seeing the matchup with Rector and Adoree Jackson. I think that's going to be a matchup definitely to watch. I think Adoree Jackson has definitely helped his draft stock 
in my own opinion, I think he was actually probably uh, one of the most impressive players thus far this season, not just for his play, but also for his heart. And uh, him running down potential touchdowns against Alabama, uh, definitely a conjured-up memory for me of Don Beebe and uh, Leon Lett in the Super Bowl. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, uh, your boy Juju Smith-Schuster definitely has not been getting <laughs> the same type of fanfare. I mean, I saw a report where uh, a draft scout actually said that uh, he's the most overrated player in the dra- overrated wide receiver in the country. And, of course, you know, his play thus far this season hasn't really been something to be too proud of. Uh, what where do you find the source of his struggles, and uh, do you think there's any legitimacy uh, to that uh, statement by the uh, the scout, the unnamed scout, which I always hate? Right, yeah, I think there's a reason that that scout didn't put his name to that comment because I don't think it carries much weight whatsoever. I mean, obviously Juju struggled in that opening game against Alabama against essentially what would be a backup defense in the NFL. So he wasn't – it wasn't playing college football at that point. That's playing NFL level, which obviously you want to be able to see Smith-Schuster perform at if you want to take him, uh, draft him this year. But he was getting blanketed on each play. They always had him bracketed. They had the corner on him with the safety rotating over. And then he showed that he's still the same juju. He had a rough, rough week of practice. He threw a little temper tantrum. He got into a fight or two. But – I mean, you saw in the Utah State game how effective he can be if he's able to get the ball. He had seven catches, two touchdowns. So that's the Juju Smith-Schuster that you should expect to see, and that's the one that he plans to perform at going forward. He's also not afraid. He does everything for the team. He's not afraid to get dirty. He had that incredibly monstrous block uh, Block, who laid laid out the Utah State defender. And – so he's really versatile, and I don't think that many people see how much of an influence he has on this USC team and how much pressure he has on him because he is that star receiver. He draws the extra defensive attention, and he he's still able able to perform at a high level. So he's just an impressive specimen overall. Absolutely, and I truly believe, you know, comparing – trying to get a, 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 a comparison based off of someone facing off against what people call, like you just said, a backup NFL defense in Alabama. To a degree, it's almost unfair. He definitely requited himself in the Utah State game, and he definitely has an opportunity this upcoming Saturday against Stanford. Uh, this game promises to be a good one, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, having you on the show to talk more about uh, Clay Hilton and his Trojans as he, of course, continues to uh, – rebuild the confidence and, of course, was shattered their, uh, their goose egg that they laid against the Alabama Crimson Tide. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, Anthony, it's always a pleasure. I always enjoy it. So thanks for having me on. All right. Now, of course, one of the things that's awesome, when we talk about college football, one of the things that people often overlook is that thing called momentum. And I know people say that momentum doesn't exist, but a lot of times it comes down to being able to get good reps and being able to build confidence. After that Alabama game, the USC Trojans could have definitely just folded and turned it in, mailed it in. Uh, Nevertheless, they didn't do that. And that's definitely something that's also very promising because many people expected them to be able to possibly struggle against Utah State. And uh, Clay Helton, Mr. Unhollywood, definitely was able to uh, rally the troops. And so now he has an opportunity 
Uh, the hot seat, in my opinion, which, of course, at one particular point after the Alabama game was definitely quite warm, was definitely cooled quite significantly uh, after the performance against Utah State. Uh, but nevertheless, let's be real. You were supposed, we were, the Trojans were supposed to beat Utah State. And so the expectation is uh, I think the jury's still out. And so we're going to find out against Stanford. And one of the things that's often funny is uh, Connor McLean mentioned uh, that the Stanford Cardinals start are currently ranked number seven in the country. But we do know that rankings at this particular point are downright laughable, downright a joke. I, of course, opened and talked about initially about how it was laughable that uh, Texas was number 10 and Wisconsin was number 11. I still think that is a joke. I still think that uh, it's far too early in the season to be able to ultimately determine um, how good or how bad uh, particular programs are at particular times. Uh, nevertheless, you know, we're going to, one of the things I love is that you get an opportunity to find out when they strap it up. And uh, we do know that Stanford, of course, enters into this game completely healthy. And being completely healthy is an added advantage when you're going against a program such as USC, which, of course, enters to this game already battered and bruised. And we're already talking about week three of the season, which, of course, is something that's quite scary. Uh, you also realize that the death concerns continue to be a problem. I often equate the USC Trojans to a starting five in basketball. The starting five is great. However, we do know that starters have to rest, and when you have to be able to rely on depth, it's something that at this particular point still after the Reggie Bush incident continues to follow uh, the uh, USC Trojans. But they're not alone. We see that it's also an issue that continues to take place with Penn State. Although Penn State had a chance to beat Pittsburgh, they, of course, came up short. In my last podcast, I mentioned that uh, – James Franklin had to win the game in order to be able to be secure in his job. Of course, James Conner, the Pittsburgh, All-American, All-ACC, All-Heart <laughs> all guy said that, you know, the state of Pittsburgh is now theirs. Uh, nevertheless, I believe Penn State actually requited themselves in their in a losing effort against uh, Pittsburgh. But we're going to get an opportunity to see how programs who are decimated by scholarships try to revive themselves. Uh, it's a slow process. Oftentimes it's a process that fans, boosters, don't really want to accept. Their expectation is that their program is supposed to win, regardless of how little depth, how little experience uh, may be present on the current roster. Now, of course, USC and Penn State are – in the process of trying to rebuild that debt. Uh, but it is definitely something that, of course, takes some time. So, of course, in regards to Stanford, in regards to Stanford USC, I expect a great matchup, in my opinion. I believe the issue will always revolve around the question of debt in regards to the offensive line of, of USC and also in regards to the lack of depth in regards to the defensive line. Uh, when Connor McLean spoke, he spoke, of course, glowingly about the secondary, and not many people will question the talent or the ability of the secondary of the Trojans. But we do know that when you talk about the style and identity of the Stanford Cardinal offense, it's going to be based off of being able to run. And it due to the lack of depth, lack of experience, a lack of proven players that the Trojans have on the defensive line, I believe it's going to be a problem. It's going to ultimately end up possibly uh, leading to their demise late in the fourth quarter. 
talent in your starting five and your starters may be able to get you to the third quarter, uh, but due to fatigue, we do know that depth is ultimately going to be an issue. So, again, as I say in life, as I say in sports, when it comes to what will the outcome be for Stanford versus USC, we definitely want to see what's happening. And, of course, we are definitely going to see what's up. Now, of course, there is another great, 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 great matchup that's going to be taking place this Saturday, a lot of great matchups. And on our podcast, we're going to be sure and try to cover every last one of those games because I believe it's important. Now, you would have thought that whenever there's a week where you're going to have um, Alabama, Ole Miss, Oklahoma, Ohio State, just those games alone, you would assume that game day would be there. Uh, Nevertheless, game day uh, broke from, I guess, what would be expected, and they're deciding to follow in what people call the September Heisman at this particular point, and Lamar Jackson, as they, of course, host the Florida State Seminoles, who, of course, had a tough game, not for the sake of winning and losing, but due to the losses uh, that occurred uh, in their matchup with uh, Charleston Southern. So, to find out what the expectations are for the Florida State-Louisville game, uh, let's go ahead and get my man uh, Jared Ross, diehard Tallahassee fan on the line, to tell us what's happening and what's up with those Tallahassee Seminoles. Welcome to the show. Hey, Anthony. How you doing? I'm doing good. Now, of course, you do know, we used to think that when we look at the schedule and we saw the team like Charleston Southern, you expect it to be a win, but you don't realize the risks that come with it. And although, of course, Florida State did win the game, they did suffer probably one of the most considerable losses that may impact them for the rest of the season. As presumed All-American, future NFL, first-round pick, uh, Dern James uh, went out with a meniscus injury. Uh, first, tell me uh, what your reaction was to the injury and how do you expect uh, the Florida State Seminoles to uh, replace him? Well, you know, I mean, as any fan, I was pretty bummed to hear about Derwin being out. And, I mean, to lose a player of that caliber in your secondary uh, is difficult. Uh, I don't think there's any way to replace a player like Derwin James. Um, we, we certainly don't have a, uh, a Jalen Ramsey uh, on the team anymore that we could switch back to safety and, and make up some of that ground. But uh, this team is loaded. I mean, there are, there's a lot of stars on this team, and uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to make do. I, I don't expect there to be a considerable drop-off. Uh, sure, you're, you're not going to have uh, the, the fear of having a Derwin James in that secondary like you would, but A.J. Westbrook, who uh, from all accounts was, was fantastic uh, in fall camp and has been good so far, uh, you know, Trey Marshall is going to get out there and, and see a little bit more increased playing time. And, and uh, he has really showed uh, his ability to, to get the job done. Um, you know, Nate Andrews is, is expected back this week. That's a big, uh, a, a big plus. He doesn't have the speed or the strength of a Derwin James or maybe even the ability to cover like he does, but he certainly uh, will fill some gaps and also allow us to move some other players around. So, you know, I mean, everyone in Tallahassee and in, in Knoll Nation is pretty bummed about losing Derwin James. And if, uh, you know, you ha- I know you've been doing your, your podcast, so you haven't had a chance yet to, to watch the most recent episode of a season with, but, uh, 
if you get a chance to watch it, I mean, it's just, they, they really highlight Derwin and what a great guy he is and a great member of the team. And, I, you know, that's going to be lost on the field, but he's still going to be there. And, and, you know, the reports today are he's out five to seven weeks. Um, we've heard that from players before, and they've come back in three to four weeks. And, and I expect Derwin to be back out there when we play Miami in October. Absolutely. Of course, Derwin James probably one of the most versatile defenders, not just in the ACC, uh, but definitely in the country. And, of course, we do uh, wish him a speedy and healthy recovery. Uh, nevertheless, we do know in football the games definitely still do go on. And uh, this matchup against Lamar Jackson and uh, the Louisville Cardinals promises to be an intriguing one. Uh, tell me a little bit about what your concerns are about the uh, about the – about the uh, Louisville offense and uh, what you expect may uh, cause uh, the defense to uh, lose a couple of sleeps, cause the defense to lose some sleep at night. Well, you're, you're facing what is probably to this point, the most dynamic quarterback uh, that, that anyone has seen uh, in 2016. The guy is uh, doing it with his legs. He's doing it with his arm and he's doing it with his head. Um, and, and that's a dangerous combination. Uh, he's making all the right plays. He, uh, you know, I, I watched uh, the, the game Friday night against Syracuse, and the one thing I will say is he does tend to throw the ball up there uh, and, and float it at times and, and throw it up for grabs. And, you know, against a Syracuse or against a Charlotte, you're going to get away with that. Against a Florida State, you may not. Uh, that said, we've given up some big passing plays already this year. Um, you know, I, I saw a stat today that, that we lead the country right now in giving up 20-plus yard, uh, yard plays. Uh, that That's dangerous going up against a, a Lamar Jackson, who, as you mentioned, is, is the September Heisman to this point. Um, that said, you know, it, it's going to be about gap integrity. It's going to be about staying in your lane. Uh, you know, Jimbo talks about it all the time, eye discipline. Got to make sure that <clears throat> that you see what's going on in front of you and you don't just try and be the hero. you got to make the, make the football play, not the big play. Absolutely. Of course, you know, we do know, of course, that uh, Lamar Jackson is definitely the headliner. But, you know, besides that, I guess one of the things that I look at as being one of the biggest strengths about the, about the Florida State team this year is their defensive line. And, of course, you know, Lamar Jackson razzles and dazzles. But a lot of times he's razzling and dazzling because his offensive line is unable to protect him. You consider the talent uh, of a Demarcus Walker. You think about Josh Sweat. You think about Thomas. I mean, the, the names just go on and on and on. I mean, I really uh, look at that defense as getting an opportunity to really make a name for himself and uh, p- potentially be able to impose their will on the Louisville Cardinals offensive line, which, of course, Bobby Petrino has himself admitted is definitely uh, probably one of their weak points at this point of the season. Yeah, you, you know, you look at a uh, you look at a guy like Demarcus Walker and what he was able to do in that second half against Ole Miss. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen a performance like that, and I've been watching Florida State football for a long time. I was here in school when uh, we had Reynard Wilson and and uh, uh, Peter Bulware. So, you know, Demarcus Walker really made a statement. But uh, you know, you you mentioned Josh Sweat; he's another one. Uh, you got Jacob Pugh, who's who's really playing well. Brian Burns, a true freshman, who flashed some uh, some some great pass rushing skills last week, albeit against a, a Charleston Southern. But you said it, you know, earlier, the offensive line for Louisville has had some some lapses. Uh, they're going to give the opportunities. It's all going to be a matter of 
if DeMarcus gets to the line and he's rushing the quarterback and the quarterback gets out, can a guy like Matthew Thomas stay in his lane and make the play? And I think he can. He showed it. Um, you know, Chad Kelly, is uh, he, he's no statue back there. And uh, while he made a few plays in that second half, he was contained. You, you know, you look at the team, uh, you look at the team stats after that Ole Miss game, they had 61 yards rushing. Now, the thing about Louisville that, that scares you a little bit more is they actually have a legitimate running back as well. Um, you know, it, it, this could be a shootout, and if it is, I still like Florida State's chances. You got, uh, you got quite an offense, and, and they've showed some flashes of brilliance already early this season. Absolutely. Of course, we do know that Jimbo Fisher is definitely the king of second-half adjustments. He definitely demonstrated that uh, throughout his early tenure at Florida State. and definitely did in uh, – their week one matchup against Ole Miss. And, of course, you know, you mentioned the offense. I mean, DeAndre Francois, he continues to make strides as a quarterback, and he can only get better, which, of course, is scary, uh, considering how he starts the season. Uh, what do you think about the strides that he's made thus far this season? And uh, I mean, the Louisville defense, offense may, of course, get a lot of the attention, but the Louisville defense is also uh, talented in itself with a uh, Josh, Josh Harvey Clemens, you got Wiggins. You also, of course, have a field to, of course, play like a man possessed last week. Yeah, you know, uh, there's a lot of guys on that team that, that uh, Florida State recruited. I mean, you mentioned Josh Harvey Clemens, and he was a, uh, he was a huge lean to Florida State for a while and, and uh, ended up going to Georgia, and now he's ended up at Louisville. Uh, and, and that's a heck of a ball player back there. Uh, the, the thing about DeAndre is he never seems – to get rattled. Um, you know, he took some major hits in that, in that old Miss game. Uh, you, you saw him just come back and, and light it up. Um, and, and I think that that's, you know, th- th- that's a, a, a characteristic of a great quarterback, one who can take the hit and uh, keep coming at you. And, you know, I was on with you before the old Miss game and I told you everything that coming out of camp is that this guy was a cool customer wasn't going to get rattled, and uh, he showed that. Uh, that that pass that he made to Travis Rudolph before halftime that really got things going for the Knowles, that's one of the best plays I've seen in a long time. He knew he was going to get hit. He stood in the pocket, delivered the ball where it needed to be, and then absorbed the hit and got right up. That's, uh, that's a heck of a hit to take, especially for a guy in his first real game action uh, in a Florida State uniform. Absolutely. Again, I'm on the line with Jared Ross. He, uh, of course, is a diehard Florida State fan uh, through and through. Uh, now, of course, we do know you mentioned about the hits. Now, each time DeAndre, DeAndre Francois, of course, is not a big guy. I mean, each time he took a hit in the Ole Miss game, my friends, and even in the game against Charleston Southern and some of the uh, games that I did watch, he, of course, took a couple of hits in that game as well. And uh, Jimbo Fisher, of course, wisely uh, – got him out of the game uh, once the uh, victory was definitely in hand. Uh, but we did see a different side, uh, a, a new side of uh, Dalvin Cook uh, thus far this season. Of course, he's wowed us with his play as a running back. But thus far, he's been able to show his versatility as a receiver. I mean, are we gonna, should we expect to see him that a lot more throughout this season? Because, man, I mean, he lit him up. He lit up Ole Miss, and, of course, uh, he did the same thing as Charles and Southern. I mean, if he's able to also be able to be a threat as a receiver on a consistent and reliable basis, I, I look at it and say, no corner, I don't, no corner, no safety. I don't care if it's Josh Harvey Clemens can really stay with this guy. 
Yeah, you know, the thing is, is uh, in the Ole Miss game, it was a little bit out of necessity. They wanted to load the box and uh, make sure that Dalvin didn't beat him and wanted to put the game on, on DeAndre's shoulders and make him throw to win. And uh, what he did is he, he got comfortable throwing to Dalvin, and Dalvin would leak out, uh, get out of the backfield and into the flat, and he'd be open. And a few times he was even open deep because he got lost in the shuffle as they were trying to stop the run. And the thing that's going to happen on that is you're going to see they're, they're going to have to come out of the box and they're going to have to play a little bit more true, and that's going to open up the running lanes for Dalvin, but it's also going to give the other receivers an opportunity to catch the ball. And I think that that's what we, we saw happen in that second half of that Ole Miss game is they started to realize that they had to kind of back off the line because, yeah, they may have been stopping Dalvin uh, from, from breaking the big one uh, as a running back, but it was opening his – uh, opening up lanes for him as a receiver and leaving some of the other receivers wide open. Uh, and then you saw Charleston Southern not be able to load the box as, uh, as much uh, as Ole Miss was because they now know that DeAndre can beat them with their arm, and that opened up some lanes. And you saw Dalvin break a big one for 37 yards and, and a touchdown. And you're going to start to see a lot more of that now that you've got a, a quarterback back there that they they have to fear a little bit more than they thought they would in that first half of football. Absolutely. Now, of course, you know, last question. Of course, we are oftentimes we find ourselves focusing on the players that are on the field. Uh, but nevertheless, what's the status with McGuire in regards to uh, when should we expect to see him return? Because we do know that, of course, DeAndre Francois is the starting quarterback, but we do know that they are definitely thin at the, at the quarterback position when it comes to depth. Uh, should we expect him to be uh, dressing soon? Well, he's dressed out for both games. He was he was in uniform for Ole Miss, uh, and from, from all accounts, he was available in emergency duty only. Um, and I, I think because of the short turnaround of, of not having a whole lot of practice uh, between weeks one and two, uh, that's why you saw them go to J.J. Plus, they kind of want to get J.J. a little bit more game action. You know, you saw him uh, look a little bit like a deer in headlights in that Peach Bowl, and, and they probably wanted to get him out there, get him hit a little bit, and, and – uh, see some live action. Sean has seen plenty of that. But I can tell you I'm I'm pretty confident that if we had to go to QB2 uh, this week against Louisville, that it's going to be Sean McGuire. Absolutely. Now, of course, I'm going to thank you for coming on to the show, and I know that you, just as myself, will be glued to the TV on Saturday at 12 noon uh, when this matchup takes place. Thank you so much. Can't wait. Go Noel. Talk to you soon, Anthony. Now, of course, one of the things that's often exciting about college football is the unexpected. Of course, throughout the entire offseason, we heard everybody talking about the surefire bets to win the Heisman. We, we saw the covers of Deshaun Watson. We saw the praise held upon Christian McCaffrey, which, of course, is all deservedly so. What's always exciting is about seeing stars come out of the woodwork. And, of course, you know, everybody knew about Lamar Jackson, but now we get an opportunity to see him perform, and definitely in his first two games against Charlotte and against Syracuse, two teams that, of course, did not go to bowl games last season. Uh, he looked good, but he was supposed to look good. Now we get an opportunity to see him go up against elite NFL talent. And one of the things that's often interesting is we get a reminder in games such as this is that although the player may be dynamic, the player cannot win the game by himself. So Lamar Jackson will definitely be the headliner. But I guess you guys will also get a reminder during the game that Lamar Jackson alone cannot win the game. Lamar Jackson may be able to keep them in the game, but will he be able to do enough to actually win the game? 
uh, in the game uh, against Syracuse uh, last week, we saw that he definitely did have a tendency problems uh, with his accuracy. At times he had uh, problems in regards to learning how to slide, RG3. And you say to yourself, man, I don't know about you guys. When I was watching the Syracuse game, I was saying to myself, I don't know if that would work against Florida State. I don't know if he can just take on linebackers and defensive linemen like he did against Syracuse if he plays against Florida State. Because if he does, he may find himself in an RG3, RG3 situation. Uh, nevertheless, we know games happen, surprises happen. And if CMU can definitely surprise Oklahoma State or not surprise, thanks, Raph, uh, we definitely know that Lamar Jackson and the Louisville Cardinals are more than capable. Uh, one of the things that's awesome is that from week to week, we get an opportunity to see teams improve. We, of course, are left with a taste of what they did the previous week and also the mistakes that were glaringly obvious to us, glaringly obvious to the coaches. And so we're going to get an opportunity to see how both Louisville and Florida State addressed uh, the concerns and mistakes that they made in the previous week. I know that both teams definitely do have a lot of issues to address. I know that Florida State has some issues with their offensive line. And you know that going against DeFonte Fields, probably one of the most talented yet underrated, under, undervalued uh, linebackers slash defensive ends in the country, is uh, lining up. you got to make sure that you're ready. Because although Ole Miss was definitely talented in the first half, not one defensive lineman on the Ole Miss squad is, is more or anywhere close to being as talented as DeFonte Fields. And on the Louisville side, Louisville, of course, has questions and concerns with their offensive line. In addition to that, their wide receivers definitely did struggle with dropping the ball. There were a lot of tip passes that ultimately ended up becoming incomplete. But we do know that when you play against a Florida State team, which, of course, is opportunistic and, of course, is going to guard you like a glove, you know that those tip passes can become interceptions and those interceptions can become pick sixes. And we do know that when pick sixes happen, everybody's trying to hit the quarterback. You can find a Lamar Jackson becoming an Andy Dalton very quickly. Nevertheless, like I said, we're going to see what happens in regards to the improvements of both the Louisville Cardinals and the Florida State Seminoles in this upcoming matchup. Nevertheless, I'm excited. I know when I watch Lamar Jackson play, I don't know about you guys, but he reminded me of Michael Vick. And, of course, we remember, when did we find out about Michael Vick? In the national championship game against who? Florida State. And in a losing effort, Michael Vick became a star. And you know what? In a losing effort, Lamar Jackson may actually find himself not just being a September high, but find himself being viable even further throughout the season because they do, Louisville, have matchups against both Houston and Clemson throughout this upcoming season. Speaking of Clemson, yes, Clemson is 2-0, but it is definitely an ugly, pathetic, downright ridiculous and unacceptable 2-0. Now, of course, you know, we may say that Auburn's defense was talented, but we'll get a chance to see week three how good Auburn really is if they take on Texas A&M. But you really can't say that about the second team that they played. I, I can't say it. And it was so bad that uh, Deshaun Watson had to issue a statement, issue an apology. And it kind of made me think about the statement that was issued by Tim Tebow when he apologized to the fans and said that his team was going to fight, his team was going to play hard, and of course, his team followed. And, of course, that team won a national championship. And, of course, that statement and that promise was immortalized in a statue that, of course, sits out in front of the swamp. So if, in fact, Deshaun Watson is able to do the same, do the same 
and rally his troops, that is definitely something to watch. However, you have to ask yourself, why is Deshaun Watson struggling? They returned everybody on the offensive side of the ball, and not only that, they didn't add their probably one of the best wide receivers in the country, and Mike Williams, and you say to yourself, what is the problem? I don't know, man. I don't know. But the truth of the matter is they have time to get the problem solved. And although we would like to believe that you can get the problem solved by beating South Carolina State in week three, chances are that problem's not going to be solved until they actually play a, play a viable opponent. Yes, it was good to be able to play Auburn to be able to get their mind right. But against the team that they played last week, they definitely got exposed. And although, you know, being expected to win championships and actually winning championships is different. People respond differently to expectations. The Clemson Tigers, of course, started the season with expectations higher than ever, expectations of them not only going 13-0, and but Deshaun Watson winning the Heisman, Deshaun Watson winning, uh, being the number one pick in the draft, and, of course, Dabo Sweeney dabbing all over the place and dancing and making a fool of himself. Nevertheless, to get to that point, you have to win the game. Dabo Swinney has done a remarkable job of rallying the troops with that sizable chip on their shoulder, with that, where constantly saying that nobody believes in us. Nobody believes that we can do it. Well, now everybody believes. Now it's going to be responsible. It's up to him and it's up to Deshaun Watson to make it happen. But, of course, it's not going to happen uh, this week against South Carolina State. It's something that has to happen throughout the season. And although, of course, the most reliable receiver in the country in Renfro is going to be out for a couple of weeks, we're going to get an opportunity to see how the Clemson Tigers respond to Deshaun Watson. And I, for one, am definitely excited. However, we do know that we learned something in the Charleston Southern matchup with Florida State, that although these games may be so-called cupcakes, these games can also be costly. So it's going to be interesting to see, in light of the Derwin James injury, how teams approach these games. Because, yes, it's good to get the win, but it's also good to win without loss. So, again, as I say in life, as I say in sports, uh, we're definitely going to see what's happening. And, of course, we're definitely going to see what's up. Of course, week three, we have a lot of other great matchups. So we're going to have guests on the show in our next podcast to preview those matchups. So we got Ole Miss Alabama. And I've got to talk about Ole Miss Alabama. We, of course, got LSU versus Mississippi State. We got Oregon versus Nebraska. We got Oklahoma versus Ohio State. And you know what? Considering my duty, my calling, my responsibility to share the insights of expertise, as well as also sprinkling my thoughts to let you guys know what's happening and what's up in the world of college sports. Now, of course, as I bring this podcast to a close, lesson. Realize if you're a coach that they're always watching. So if you're going to pick your nose, Jim Harbaugh, maybe you should go do it in the bathroom. Remember that sports gives you an opportunity to take a time out from life and all the things that have a tendency of stressing us out. I want to thank you guys for taking a break with me. And remember to stay tuned to sports. I know I will. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to Countdown to Kickoff. Our show airs live every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If, in fact, you missed the show, Make sure you subscribe to the podcast by typing in count and the number two and down, one word. While you're at it, make sure you also follow the latest happenings in the world of sport with us at Eat, Drink, Sleep, Sports and the number two. And you know what? If you've gone that far, 
be sure and check out our website for the latest happenings as well at eatdrinksleepsports.com. Till next time, college sports football fans, stay tuned. I know I will. Peace.